0: And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me. That man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath... He was even, even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son. And shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here, And come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I cannot think of a single time in all the life of Jesus where he created something. Now, as you may know, creation is when you make something out of nothing. In fact, I can't think of another time in the Bible after Genesis chapter 1 that anything was created. Since then, God has been working with what he has created. If you can think of any exceptions, you might tell me about that later. But I can't think of any exceptions to the statement. But let's think about the life of Jesus. When Jesus, well, let me state it negatively first. We don't read of anywhere that Jesus caused an arm to grow on the shoulder of a man who had had his arm chopped off. That would be an act of creation. Instead, what we read is that there was a man who had a withered hand, and Jesus healed the withered hand. So he he restored something that was not working properly properly. Same thing can be said for when Jesus opened the eyes of the blind. We don't ever read that he put eyes into someone's empty eye sockets, but rather that he healed the eyes that were there and were not working properly. The same thing about deafness and about the other miracles of healing that Jesus did. What he did was he took something that was not working properly and he made it work properly. Now, what are you if nothing works properly? You're dead. So if you've got nothing, if nothing about you works at all, then you're dead. So several of us men in the church have been deer hunting this past week, and one of the rules of coming upon a deer that you think is dead is that you take, the tip of your bow, or the tip of your gun, or maybe a stick nearby, and uh, you poke that deer in the eye. If the deer is alive, the deer will blink, but if you poke the deer in the eye and his eye doesn't blink, then you know that he's dead. The ability, apparently, the ability to blink eyes is one of the last things that uh, a body loses. But when you can't even blink your eyes and nothing else on your body works, you're dead. And that idea applies not just to physical bodies, it also applies to humans considered as spiritual beings. When God brings someone into the kingdom of God, he does not... Create a new brain for that person he doesn 't create a new capacity he doesn 't create a new capacity to think he doesn 't create new i 've got to be careful how I say this let me start again Lost people can think it 's just that their thinking isn 't working right. Lost people have affections it 's just that their affections are so misdirected. They're not working right. Lost people have capacity to choose, but their will is so misdirected that it's not working right. And so the Bible uses the word death to refer to someone who is away from God. And when Jesus draws that person into his kingdom, then he fixes what's not working right. And he brings the dead into life. Now, if you're sick, a doctor can help you. But if you're dead, a doctor can't help you. Then you've got to have divine, you've got to have God step in. He's the only one who can bring death. Who can bring a dead person to life. So in this passage of Scripture that I've just read, Jesus has been severely criticized for healing a man on the wrong day. He's criticized not so much for healing the man as he is for healing him on the wrong day. Although I think we gain some insight into the character of the men that Jesus is arguing with and the men who are opposed to Jesus When they see this guy from their city who has been an invalid for 38 years and they see him carrying his bed and they don't say, wow, you are walking. How did that happen? Congratulations, man. I know you've been sick. 38. How did that happen? No, they don't say that. They say, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat on the Sabbath. What kind of, what kind of losers are they? If that's the first thing they observe about someone who's been healed after being sick for 38 years. And there are times when Jesus, other times in the Bible, when Jesus is criticized for healing someone on the Sabbath... And he takes the following approach. He'll say, Could you guys just please show some mercy? That's my paraphrase. What he does say is, Which of you, having an ox or a sheep, and in one place he says a son, who falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull it out? And everybody would have done that. You know, if you're... If your sheep fell into a well, like, oh, get a rope, we got to get the sheep out before he dies. They Pull the sheep out. If the ox falls into a ditch and gets mired and can't get out, hey, bring a rope. Somebody bring your ox, we got to pull my ox out. They would do that on the Sabbath. And then Jesus says, then, why are you not willing for a human being to be dragged out of his sickness? on the Sabbath, he might have said, this guy's been in the well for 38 years. And you show more compassion towards a sheep and towards an ox than you do towards someone who has been sick in the well for 38 years. But that's not what Jesus does here. That's what he does in other places when he's criticized for healing on the Sabbath. He makes an appeal to mercy. Here, Jesus makes an appeal to who he is that gives him the right to do this on the Sabbath. And so, they say to him, you know, what's, what's the big idea telling someone to carry his mat on the Sabbath? And Jesus gives them this answer, My father is always working up to this very day, and I too am working. And then... Let's notice their reaction to his having said that, verse, six, verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, as I said in the conclusion of my sermon last week, if Jesus is not... Making himself equal with God, then at this point he has every obligation to say, "Men, you have misunderstood me." I mean, that's what you would do, if if someone misunderstood you and they said, "Well, you think you've got as much power and right as God," you'd say, "No, I don't think that. No, I, I'm not. I know I'm not God." That's what you would say. And if Jesus was not saying that he was God, then he had every obligation at this point to say, now you've misunderstood me, and I know we've got our disagreements, and you don't think I should have done this on the Sabbath, but I'm not saying that I am equal with God. But that's not what Jesus said. In fact, he says, well, let me explain that a little bit further to you boys. And so in the verses that I'm getting ready to try to explain to you, Jesus says, I have been empowered and authorized to do God's work on earth. That's the first point. I have been empowered and authorized to do God's work on earth. Second point is that this power and authority allows me to raise people from the dead spiritually and physically. And then the third point is, this authority and power that I have been given will extend to the judgment at the last day. So these are some very, very powerful statements in in saying that he can raise the dead and that he is going to execute government over the world. We ought to recognize that these are prerogatives that belong to God alone. Only God can raise the dead. Only God has the right to govern the world, which includes the final judgment at the last day. And uh, so when Jesus says, God has given me the power and the responsibility, the power and the authority to raise the dead and to govern the world, then he is indeed making himself equal with God. Let's see the things that Jesus says and just how shocking they are. To introduce you to this first point where Jesus says, God has empowered me and authorized me to do his work on earth, let me set you up for it by saying, I don't think that it's a good idea for you to say God told me something. I mean, unless you're just reading the Bible, and then you can be sure God told me that. But I hear some people talking about uh, what, what I would call our uh, sessions of contemplation. And they represent it as though they're having a conversation with God. So I was, I was getting ready. It goes something like this. I was getting ready to buy a hamburger at McDonald's. But then God said to me, don't go to McDonald's, go to Arby's. And So I rode, I rode across the street. I went to Arby's. And I was getting ready to get a roast beef sandwich. And then God said to me, don't get the roast beef, get the new Reuben melt and And so I got the Reuben Melt, and then after that, I saw someone in Arby's who said, "Is that the new Reuben Melt?" And a conversation started that I got to share the gospel with him and and it's so they represent the whole thing as i've got, I've got this conversation going on with God. I think that's a very dangerous I think that's a very dangerous thing to do. Uh, sometimes I think that people who talk about their there are sessions of contemplation in that way. Uh, blame some things on God that God is not really responsible for, and uh, so there's. I, I I think that there is an air of spirituality that comes along if God is talking to you like that and says, "Don't don't get a hamburger, get a roast beef instead, or get a, get a Reuben melt instead." But I just think that's a very dangerous thing to do. I think that you don't have any any clear idea that it is indeed God who is telling you to do those things. But let's suppose that someone says, well, I, I have done, I've done something. I, I got the Reuben melt and it was because God told me to. And um, so I got, I got the Reuben melt and uh, I, I'm always doing what God tells me to do. In fact, God and I are working together and whatever god does then i'm going to do it and as a matter of fact i can do it the exact same way that god does it you're going to say well you're probably not going to say anything you're probably just going to nod your head and think this guy needs this guy needs help because there's no one who can do exactly what god does and who knows everything that god is doing and is always working in cooperation with God. This person is either a kook or he's a heretic. Well, those are the very claims that Jesus makes here. Let's look at them. Let's see what Jesus says. He says in verse 19, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. So the first thing that Jesus says is, God and I are working together. God decided that he wanted this man healed on the Sabbath day. And so I said, yes, Father, I will do what you want me to do. And so that's why I healed this man on the Sabbath day. I I couldn't have done it on my own. The only thing that I can do is what I see that the Father is doing. Men notice next. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Two things about this. Jesus says, I do... Whatever God does. Now in just a moment, I'm going to talk about why he calls God Father and the significance of that. But for right now, let's just hear Jesus saying, Whatever God does, I do. And then notice that little word likewise at the end, which means I do it in the same way that God does it. So God and I are working together. Whatever God does, I do. And I do it the same way that God does it. Now notice verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. So how do you know that you're doing what God does? How do you know that you're doing it the way that God does it? And when God wants you to do it, how do you know? Well, because God shows me everything that He's doing. He, he loves me so much that He shows me everything that He is doing on earth. And that's why I healed this man on the Sabbath day. God said, I'm going to heal that man. Jesus said, I'm with you. And uh, I'm going to do it just exactly the way God the Father would do it. And that's what I did. And, and, uh, and I, then I told the man to take his, pick up his mat and go home. Now notice at the end of verse 20, and greater works than these will he show him that you may marvel. Now, remember my definition of healing? It's making something that doesn't work, work again. Jesus is not creating new limbs for this man. As far as we know, there's nothing like that in the Bible. That Jesus is, Jesus is making the, the body that would not work for 38 years. He's making it work again. And Jesus says, well, you ain't seen nothing yet. There's, there's some really remarkable, more remarkable things than that are going to happen. So he says, greater works than these, God is going to show him, that is the Son of Man, that you may marvel. And here are the two greater things that prove that Jesus is indeed equal with the Father. Verse 21, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life... So the Son gives life to whom He will. God alone can raise the dead. And Jesus says, I can do that. And I'm going to do it to whom? To whomsoever I please. He'll give it, I'll do it to, to whom He will. So that's the, that's the first general statement of the greater thing that Jesus is going to do. Greater than healing a man is raising a man from the dead. And then here's the second thing, verse 21, for as the verse 22, for the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So the first thing to notice here is that the word judgment, as we use it, is usually applied to exercising discernment between competing ideas. So a judge has a a defendant and a plaintiff before him, and based on the evidence, he says, I decide that you are not guilty, you're going to have to pay his court costs, or you are guilty, and now you're going to have to go to prison. But we we primarily limit the idea of judging to that exercising of discernment based on evidence. But in the Bible the word judgment includes that as well as something much greater. The word judgment means governance. It means that you are you're governing you're governing something when you're judging. So remember there's an entire book of the Bible that is named Judges and uh, we never see those guys sitting in a courtroom deciding between a, a plaintiff and a defendant. Instead, they are, they're governing over the land of Israel. They're all called judges. Samuel, after the book of Judges, is a judge. He rules over Israel. Even in our court system, a judge is like a little king or a little queen. There is a certain jurisdiction which a judge has authority over. And um so a judge will not only say you're guilty or not guilty but also will say if you are guilty if someone's guilty and as a result you're going to have to pay this fine or as a result you're going to have to go to jail and the judge has the That's not just saying you did something wrong. That's what we usually limit judgment to. It is saying, here are the consequences to what you have done that is wrong. I was talking with Dallas a few days ago about some of the areas um, in Louisville that are persistently high crime areas. And, uh, And he said, it's because the judges will not do their job. That wasn't exactly the way that he put it, but it's because the judges will let these criminals out again and again. We police officers will will arrest them, we'll bring them before the judge, and then the judge lets them go. Well, you see, that's, that's a judge exercising some degree of authority and sovereignty over the jurisdiction that he has. So even in our limited understanding of what a judge is, we recognize That a judge does more than decide between competing opinions. And the way Jesus is saying it here is that the Father has entrusted the governance of the universe to me. God the Father is the source of creation. Jesus is the means through which creation is effected. We read that in our second scripture reading this morning. In the beginning was the Word. It's another name for Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Notice what it says next. All things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that has been made. So God the Father is the source, but Jesus Christ is the means through which creation is effected. God the Father is the source of the providential governance of the universe. But Colossians chapter 1 tells us that it is in Jesus Christ that all things hold together. Uh, So, God the Father makes the plan, Jesus carries it out. And Jesus says, the Father has given me authority to judge, and there are two things that we need to explore here. The first thing is that Jesus says, he has given me authority to judge because I am the Son of Man. Now, the Son of Man is a title that Jesus uses most often to refer to himself. And uh, the main reason, I think, that he calls himself the Son of Man is because this is a title that is assigned to the Messiah. So in the Old Testament, you can read in the book of Daniel, you can also read in Psalm 80 how that Son of Man refers to this special prophet, this special Messiah who is going to come. He's the man at God's right hand. He is the Son of Man. And so when Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, people who are familiar with the Old Testament would say, well, then he's, he's claiming to be the Messiah. But it also is an appropriate title, not just because it has echoes in the Old Testament, but also because our, sal- our innocence was lost by a representative man, and so our, our salvation must be won back by someone who is a Son of Man. Someone who has our own flesh and blood. So Jesus had to be completely human in order to do the work of salvation. Uh, There are just so many aspects to the work of salvation that Jesus has accomplished that necessitate his being a son of man. Not an angel, not a son of some other created being, but that he must be the son of man. And so that's the first thing. Jesus says, He has given me authority to judge because I am the Son of Man. I am the appointed Messiah who has not only been appointed, but who is also qualified to do the work that He has assigned to me. Especially, we're thinking about raising the dead and administering the governance of the universe. Now, the second thing that we need to see from this statement of Jesus is, Jesus says that He has done this so that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And then he makes this statement, he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Now, a couple of things here. First of all, this speaks very clearly to the exclusivity of the gospel. The exclusivity of the gospel is a way of saying that there's only one way to be saved, and that's through Jesus. Now, we, we want to be as open-minded as we possibly can. And so sometimes people will say, well, you know, I just think that if, if there is someone who practices another religion other than Christianity and they're really serious about it, that God is just going to show mercy to them. And even though they're worshiping the wrong God or they're not coming to God through Jesus, I mean, after all these people will say there is only one God, we recognize that. But there are many ways to reach this one God. Well, just notice that that's not what Jesus says. Jesus does not say that there are many ways to get to the Father. He says, if you don't honor the Son, you don't honor the Father. And so you you may be pretending like you are worshiping the one God, but you're really not unless you approach Him through me. You see, God can be known by many names. He is the creator, he is the almighty, he is the sovereign, he is Lord. Uh, Jesus at one time at least calls him the power. There are many names by which God can be designated. But the name through which you must be saved is Father. God has revealed himself for the salvation of people as Father. Father of whom? Father of Jesus. Now we recognize God as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We recognize Jesus Christ as the Son of the Father. And these titles, Father and Son, open the book of Christianity. And it's through seeing God as Father and Jesus as Son that we see the way of salvation that is through Jesus Christ. That God is not merely the Creator, as great as that is. He is the Father who has now sent His Son. And the Son is not just a good teacher, although He is that. Not just a noble martyr. But instead, He is the Son who is fulfilling the will of the Father. So because He is the Son of Man, he, He has been granted the authority and the power to do god's work on the earth especially as it applies to the salvation of sinners the raising of the dead in other words the salvation of sinners and the governance of the universe from now on now let's move on so that's that's the first point in general god uh, jesus is saying god has empowered me and authorized me to do his work on the earth but then he comes back and he hits with more emphasis these two ideas of raising the dead and, and judging. So let's look at verse 20, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life he does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life and there are the two things together there is his raising the dead because before you pass from death into life you're dead and then here also is the exercising of judgment particularly when he says he does not come into condemnation and what to whom is this extended Who passes from death to life? Who is not condemned? Jesus says, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me. Those are not two different things. Those are two ways of saying the same thing. Jesus has just said, Whatever the Father does, I also do. The Father shows me everything and that's that's how I know that I'm always doing his will. So the Father reveals everything to me so when I speak the, when I speak what I'm saying it's exactly what God wants to be said and so whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life let's think for just a moment about these these qualifications so salvation is entirely by grace through faith but there are qualifications and that qualification is you must hear the words of Jesus. Now, obviously, here "hear" is used in a representational sense. It means not just that all oh, Brother Jim read the Bible; I heard the words of Jesus. Therefore, I'm saved. No, it means that you you hear and you keep on hearing. In fact, the this is a present tense for you. For you people who are studying Greek. This is the present tense. The one who is hearing and goes on hearing my word. So you, you listen to what, God, to what Jesus is saying. And it becomes the standard by which you determine what you're going to think and how you're going to live. In doing that you are believing. Again it's a present tense. The one who is hearing my word and believing in him who sent me has eternal life. It is in receiving a message that has come from God through Jesus Christ that you are born again. It is an act of your mind. You're not saved by your works. You're saved by hearing the words of Jesus and believing Him. Believing God who sent Him. And when you, when you believe that, then there's something that has happened. The part of you that didn't used to work... Right starts working right. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. You've been raised from the dead and will not be condemned. One of these days, each one of us is going to stand before the throne of God and be judged for the things that have been done in the flesh. And what a fearful moment that will be if. If you do not have someone to represent you there. Several years ago. Uh, my, my father died. And my mother had died several years before that. And my dad made me the executor of his estate. And as those of you know. Who have been made executors. Don't agree to be the executor of someone's estate. Unless you really love that person. Because there can be a lot of legal rigmarole. That goes along with it. I thought. Mm, there's a way to do this. In fact, Ruth Ann figured out how to do it without a lawyer. But uh, I I appeared before a judge in Oldham County and uh, explained to him that I was going to try to settle my father's estate. And he asked me about some of the assets of my father. And then this judge looked over the bench, and if I remember right, he looked over his reading glasses, and he said, you need to get yourself a lawyer. And uh, so I did. I think it was good advice. I went out and I secured a lawyer there in Oldham County. Because there are so many many things that go on in the legal system that just the average person doesn't understand. Well, one of these days you are going to appear before God, and I want you to look at me. I'm not the judge, but I'm looking at you over the top of my glasses right now, and I'm saying to you, son, daughter, you need to get yourself a lawyer. You need to get someone who is going to stand with you when you stand before the judge. Now, what if, it, what if you could get the judge's own son to stand with you? Or what if you could get the judge himself to say, Boy, you need a lawyer, and I'm going to serve for you. I'm going to come down there and stand with you. So somebody else sit in the bench for a while And the person on the bench says, Sir, are you going to plead on behalf of your client? And Jesus speaks up and says, Yes, I am. What's the verdict? No condemnation. It's glory time. No condemnation. The old account was settled long ago. On earth... During those days, this girl said, I'm going to hear the words of Jesus and I'm going to believe what God said. And in that moment, the paperwork was filed. No condemnation. Passed from death to life. That can happen to you today. If you'll hear the words of Jesus and believe him who sent him. You'll not be condemned We cross over from death to life. And then Jesus says in verse 25, He gives a a specific application of this power and authority that He has been given to raise the dead. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here. Note that. And is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Now, there are some people who say all the resurrection that takes place in this passage of Scripture is a literal resurrection of dead people. Dead, physically dead people are being raised from the dead. But since we just had in verse 24 that Jesus says, "...whoever is hearing my word and believing him who sent me has has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life." The next thing that he says, I think, is referring to a spiritual resurrection. And I think that is strengthened by the fact that he says, the time is coming and now is. So, I think he's going to talk about future resurrection in the next couple of verses. But right now, I think he's talking about the the spiritual resurrection of people from spiritual death. And how can he do this? Verse 26, he explains... For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Now, a person who has life in himself is a self-existent being. And there is only one person in the universe who has life in himself, and that is the living God. We call him the living God. We're not just saying he's alive as opposed to dead. We are saying he is the God from whom flows forth all life. He is the living God. And then Jesus gives this statement which is somewhat mystical. He says, and the Father has granted the Son to have life in himself. Well, if you've got life in yourself, nobody can give it to you. You've already got it. If you're, if, if you're self-existent, nobody makes you self-existent. So this is a little enigmatic when Jesus says the Father has granted the Son to have life in Himself. So based on the rest of the, what it says here and in the rest of the Bible, Jesus has life in Himself. He is God. He is the fountain of life. When it says that the Father has granted Him to have life in Himself, I think it means that He has granted Him the authority to exercise this in the work that he's appointed him to do on earth. He has granted him to do the raising of the dead and to do the exercising of judgment because he is the one who has life in himself. And so this is why you can be saved through Jesus Christ. He is a fountain of life. He has life in himself. You are not going to exhaust the fountain of, The fountain of life. So I think this is referring to spiritual resurrection. But then in the verses that follow, I think he is saying... And now I'm on to to my third point. So the first point was, Jesus is saying, The Father has given me the ability and the authority to do his work on earth. Second point, he has specifically authorized me to raise people from the dead both spiritually and physically. The and physically part means that it's not long from now until he raises the widow of Nain's physically dead son from the dead. He raises the daughter of Jairus from the dead. He raises Lazarus from the dead. So he does raise people from the dead physically during his ministry. But I think that primarily he has been talking about spiritual death. But now here's the third point. God has given me this power and authority and it will extend to the end of time. And at the end of time, what's going to happen? Well, let's see what it says here. So it says, uh, I skipped over verse 27. He has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. But I think I've already explained that enough. But now verse 28. "Do, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So during his life on earth, Jesus began resurrecting people from the dead spiritually and he raised a few people from the dead physically. There may have been more than three, but we only read of three in the New Testament. But Jesus says there's coming a time when everyone who has ever lived is going to be raised from the dead and I'm going to do it. I'm the one who's going to do it. So the billions upon billions of people who have lived and who will yet live before this time comes, Jesus says they're all going to be raised from the dead. And when they're raised from the dead, the die will have been cast. Nobody's going to be sent to a holding place. Nobody's going to go to purgatory and see how things work out after that. Those who have done good will rise to live. Those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. I do think that this is a very simple, very biblical, obviously, view of the end of time. That uh, I, I don't think that it's complicated by this resurrection and then that resurrection and then a big long period of time and then another resurrection at the end of that. Jesus here speaks very simply that the time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live. Those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. And so the the power and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrates the fact that he has a right to heal people on the Sabbath day. He's been granted the governance of the entire universe for all time. So obviously, if he wants to heal somebody on the Sabbath day and tell him to carry his mat, he can jolly well do that. And as for healing a man... That's just the tip of the iceberg for the kind of bringing back to life that he's going to do. He brought this paralyzed man's system back to life. I don't know why he was paralyzed. He brought it back to life and he says, You're going to see something a lot more amazing than that. I'm going to bring dead people back to life, both spiritually and physically. What a great Savior! This is, this is someone that you can trust. But you've got to decide on these words. Was he crazy? Did he really believe that and it's not true? But what if he's telling the truth? I'm banking my life on he's telling the truth. That he really is the son of God. And that by hearing him, And believing in God as the Father and as the Son. I've crossed over from death to life. Now you've got to decide, is it true? If it's true, then it should affect the way that you live from this day on. Jim Bob, come and lead us in a concluding hymn.